So while I was busy covering Apple's September event, two things happened. First, we passed 100 videos, 140,000 subscribers, and 10 million views. And I just wanted to thank all of you for your continued support. I couldn't do any of this without you. And second, iPhone 12 rumors, well, they just kept on rolling. And I figured now, as we're in the end game, as we're counting down to the iPhone event, the actual, this time in October, iPhone event, it was worthwhile going through all the rumors to date, the reliable rumors to date, and give you my live reactions to them. Not just what's happening, but why it's happening, what it means, and whether or not I think it's actually a good idea for Apple to do it. And I'm going to do all of that right now. Sponsored by CuriosityStream with Nebula. One of the most interesting rumors that have come up recently has been this ring of magnets that people are saying will be included with the iPhone 12. Now, it has nothing to do with reverse inductive charging, which was one of the bigger rumors last year, where, for example, you could put your AirPods on top of your iPhone and the iPhone would charge the AirPods. My understanding is that that was actually never, just never in the roadmap for the iPhone 11. And I don't think anyone in any of the teardowns has ever found any hardware to actually support it. But what this looks to be is something closer akin to how the Apple Watch handles inductive charging. The iPhone is Qi standard, the Apple Watch is not. And one of the reasons for that is back when Apple was making the Apple Watch, they wanted a way for it to be absolutely secure when it was charging. So you never had to worry about it falling off the charging pad and waking up and just not having your watch ready to go. The last few iPhone models, by contrast, have just been hella slippery. Put them on anything that's not an absolutely level large surface and they will work their way towards the edge of it. And that is not conducive to inductive charging. So what this looks like is a way to get some of that Apple Watch dependability. You know absolutely you've got it locked on in the right place onto the iPhone, both if Apple has got an AirPower style next generation charging pad and maybe some different form factor charging pads going forward. For the chipset, we actually have less rumor and more reality now because Apple did announce the new iPad Air that has the A14 Bionic chip in it. The chip widely, largely, almost certainly expected to be in the iPhone as well. And it's fabricated on Taiwan Semiconductor's new five nanometer process, which means that it has 1.8 times the transistor density of the previous seven nanometer process. And that means that Apple can fit more transistors into a smaller package. So we'll get modest performance increases, but really good efficiency increases. But I think Apple's SOCs are also rapidly evolving beyond just what the CPU and GPU can do, including things like the new 16-core neural engine and the new machine learning accelerators and all the custom silicon blocks, the new IP that they've been adding to the overall chipset. And I think we'll get very specific performance and very specific efficiency improvements in several key areas. And it's it's sort of hilarious to me that we see things like NVIDIA announcing their new Ampere technology, boasting about the gains that they get, but then the harshness of the reality sets in. And not just the reality of the completely botched pre-order, because apparently bots are technology, just NVIDIA and their retailers have never heard of before. I mean, you can throw voltage at these problems like NVIDIA or cores at these problems like Intel, but 
they remain problems because that brute force approach really costs you in other areas. Yet the A14 reception was a little lukewarm because people only looked at the year-over-year performance gains. They did that C-Tech astronomy math and figured out, ah, it's only like 16% here, 13%, 8% there. But the efficiency gains are really high. And when you put both those things together, performance and efficiency, that's when you get to deliver real substantive improvements uh, that people feel year over year. And that increased efficiency is going to be really important when it comes to battery because rumor has it the physical battery capacity is going to be slightly smaller this year. Now, measuring batteries in milliamp hours is kind of archaic at this point because Apple and every vendor is using computational technology, is using machine learning, is using bits to extract far more performance out of the atoms than the atoms alone would ever make possible. And we saw that especially last year where improvements in efficiency in the OLED panels and the A13 chipset just added hours to the iPhone Pro battery life. So it's much better to look at battery now in terms of overall efficiency, not the physical capacity, but the overall efficiency of the entire system, what that delivers. And I've done an entire deep dive video on just every aspect of the A14 Bionic as well. So make sure you have hit that subscribe button and bell so you don't miss any of those. When it comes to storage, it looks like the 64 gigabyte option is going away and we're gonna baseline at 128 gigabytes, which I think is great because iPhones are creative tools. People from TikTok to YouTube to Instagram, we're all using them to create more and more content. And I mean, at a mainstream level now, so just the more storage, the better. They do still top out at 512 gigabytes though, which sort of opens the question about how memory and storage are being handled here. The iPad Pro, part of the reason it went to six gigabytes of RAM was to support one terabyte of storage. Now there have been rumors about six gigabytes of RAM on the iPhone Pro as well, but the lack of one terabyte of storage there makes me wonder how accurate that's going to end up being. Pretty much every year, everyone in the industry starts talking about the next iPhone using just the next number in the sequence. And invariably, inevitably, we get people chiming in saying, well, shouldn't it really be an S? So for example, this year, we all started talking about the iPhone 12 and a bunch of people immediately go, don't you mean the iPhone 11 S? And the truth is Apple can call any iPhone any name they want to. There was no iPhone 7 S, there was no iPhone 9. Apple could call the next iPhone, iPhone 11 S, iPhone 12, iPhone Mother of Dragons, iPhone Dark Knight Detective, really literally anything they wanna call it. It's just a marketing decision. When Apple typically uses the S, it's to tamp down expectations. It's to help the market realize that there aren't gonna be any big cosmetic changes and help them sort of focus on the internal changes, which plays to Apple's strengths in those previously intermittent years, single intermittent years, now double, sometimes triple intermittent years. And when they increment the number, it's to signify there is a bigger change, either because the change is really big, like it's a brand new design, or Apple wants people to be more interested in the changes they're putting in the device, like the iPhone 8 instead of iPhone 7S. And yes, it has wireless charging, but it didn't seem like that big of a difference, but giving it its whole new number sort of amplifies how important it comes off to people. And this year, because the iPhone is getting a new design, it just fits Apple's pattern to give it a new number to go along with it. Now, that design has been talked about for over a year, I think even before the iPhone 11 came out, 
because people are legitimately excited about it. The moment we saw the iPad Pro, the 2018 iPad Pro revealed with its retro future look, everyone was like, can we have that for the iPhone? And now please. So the rumor is the regular iPhone 12 is going to get a squared off design very similar to the iPad Pro and to the iPhone 5, 5S, iPhone SE lineup. And the iPhone 12 Pro then will take it a step further. We'll add the stainless steel from the iPhone 4, 4S, probably the most beloved Braun, Leica style industrial design Apple's ever brought to an iPhone. And so we'll have two similar but seriously differentiated models playing off each other in the market. For colors, it's widely expected that we'll keep the Apple chromatic tones, the Apple chromatic palette, at the regular iPhone 12 level. I'm just hoping it's not pastels again this year. I realize everyone has different tastes. Pastels certainly weren't mine, and we just saw Samsung go in on them for a second year in a row, and that just feels like more 2020 than I can take right now. And with the iPhone 12 Pro, last year we got the Leica jungle green-inspired midnight green. This year, it sounds like we're gonna be getting a deep blue color instead. And just honestly, the more color at the Pro level now, the better. I'm gonna just keep low-key hoping for a product red version as well. In terms of sizes, there's supposed to be both a regular and a Pro model in the 6.1 size, the size for the iPhone XR and iPhone 11, sort of the middle size, the Goldilocks size. But the small iPhone is supposed to be getting even smaller, going down to 5.4 inches. And recently, rumors have suggested heavily that it's gonna actually be called the iPhone 12 mini. And mini is a name that's been floating around the industry for a long, long time. Back after Apple went big and bigger with the iPhone 6, if they went smaller again, so conventional wisdom suggested that they would use the mini moniker. They ended up using SE instead, but they did use mini for iPod mini, iPad mini, Mac mini. And yes, always with a lowercase m. P is in pro gets a capital, but M is in mini gets a lowercase letter. I guess just to signify the size difference visually in terms of brand identity. And this would make the new iPhone 12 mini smaller even than the iPhone SE. And I think a lot of people have been waiting for this for a long time, both people who want a less expensive full flagship iPhone, but also people who just want that smaller design. And Apple tends to win bigger when they can combine two markets like that together. On the opposite side, the Max version, the Pro Max version is supposed to be getting even bigger than ever going all the way up to a 6.7 inch display. And this is probably a combination of just people wanting bigger and bigger phones because in some markets, the phone is the primary computing device and just the bigger display it can get, the better. But also just the realities of trying to fit a millimeter wave 5G modem into a device. Those things are just hella hungry, but more on that in a hella hot minute. And for those displays, Apple's rumored to be going OLED just across the line now, even on the regular iPhone 12 models. The regular iPhone 11 models had LCD, liquid retina, at the lower end, and they had OLED only in the Pro models, the higher end. But this time, it's just all OLED all the time. My guess is that the lower end models will have lower end uh, OLED displays, maybe analogous to the iPhone XS, maybe even just the iPhone X, you know, more like HDR, high dynamic range, and not the XDR, the extreme dynamic range that Apple's been pushing over the last couple of years. 
I think that's just the way they get OLED into those models without making the price similar to the Pro models. And then on the Pro side, they'll have more recent technology OLED panels, probably very similar to what's in the Galaxy S20. Not the Note 20, unfortunately, with variable refresh rates, because it sounds like those panels are still in very short supply. Uh, Samsung just can't fab enough of them to go into something that ships at the scale of the iPhone and hundreds of thousands of units. So that might be more of a next year thing. But that also plays into the continual tragedy of this year, which is everyone losing their minds over 120 hertz refresh. And I am one of those people because I want it super badly, but it doesn't sound like the fabrication is in place to do it this year. And I won't go into that too deeply because I've made a bunch of videos about it already, but I'll link to all of them in the description. There are no real Touch ID rumors going into the iPhone 12. I know the minute everyone saw the return of Touch ID in the iPad Air, especially in the power button for the iPad Air, there was all of this excitement in the age of responsible mask wearing that just messes with Face ID because Face ID needs three points. It needs two eyes and a nose to make a secure biometric facial geometry scans, and the mask blocks the nose off. So the hope has been that we would get Touch ID back, at least as an alternative, sooner rather than later. But the rumors for Touch ID on the iPhone relate only to an iPhone SE Plus style device next year with the similar kind of power button layout and maybe in-screen for the iPhone 13 or whatever comes in 2021. And that would be using Apple's acoustic uh, in-display fingerprint technology, which is similar to the Qualcomm tech used by Samsung and different from the optical tech used by other vendors. And that's still several steps away from my beautiful multi-biometric, passive persistent authentication (laughs) dreams. On the camera side of things, the biggest change is supposed to be the addition of a LiDAR scanner, which we saw on the iPad Pro earlier this year. My guess on the iPhone, though, is that it's going to be a much more encompassing, a much more fleshed out story. On the iPad Pro, it seemed really like a developer tool, a way to get people making apps for LiDAR earlier on, not having to wait for the iPhone before you could yell go. But with the iPhone in particular, I think Apple has now had time to sort of collect that data, get those initial apps launched, but also build out their own technology, build out the new camera app, which we've heard about for years, that's going to use LiDAR for things like faster focus, sure, but also better 3D environment scanning, probably better depth effects, and also the advent of full-on AR cameras. And it's hard to tell exactly where that's going to go yet, but I think we'll get the capabilities on the back that we've had on the front with the true depth camera for a while now. And Apple's also supposed to be improving the zoom aspects on the phone because that's just one area where Google and other manufacturers are still way ahead. Apple's doing two times optical and up to 10 times digital, but it's, it's just not a good digital. And Google's super res zoom, if Apple could take their smart HDR and make smart zoom out of that with enhanced optical capabilities, that would just be better for everyone trying to take every photo from more than a few steps away. For radios, we're getting 5G this year. That's the big change. That's the thing that every carrier uh, finance and marketing department is super excited about. And every technician and industry person is just like, yeah, I'll expect it when I see it. 
the regular iPhone 12 will be getting FR1 or frequency range 1, which is the low and mid bands of 5G, what some people call sub 6, uh, but which might end up being sub 7, sub 8, sub 9 eventually. When you see things like T-Mobile's mid band rollout, and you're delivering up to one gigabit per second to a much wider range of people and providing just reliability, dependability that they never managed to achieve with LTE. I think that's great. For the higher end model, for the iPhone 12 Pro, we're expecting FR2, frequency range two, which are the higher bands or what's commonly called MM wave, millimeter wave, the kind that Verizon and AT&T have been pushing but that is still somehow flummoxed by you turning around or turning a corner or going inside or the wind changing, the rain coming, the leaves on the tree ruffling. And I just, I don't think that's a consumer-facing technology yet. I think that's more about carriers and less about us. And it'll end up being real interesting in high-density urban sites like arenas, but just not a commercial technology. And again, I made a bunch of videos about this already, explaining exactly what it is, how it works, and yeah, why is Gamora... And I'll put links to that in the description below as well. If you were hoping for, begging for, pleading for USB-C in the iPhone 12, it sounds like this again is just another of 2020's disappointments. Apple has put USB-C on the iPad Pro. They have just announced USB-C for the iPad Air, but they seem to be sticking hard to lightning for the iPhones. Personally, I would much rather, much prefer to have USB-C in the iPhone Pro, like the iPad Pro, I think, Part of the word pro should mean USB-C. And sure, keep lightning in the regular models, in the models for people who have spent the last six, seven years accumulating lightning cables and accessories and try to take away from them, they would just cut you. But let us pros have our USB-C at least until next year when we start taking all the ports away from us. We will though, merciful Zeus, apparently be getting better, improved, braided lightning cables that will be far more resistant and reliable and just last longer than the current ones, which seem to pop their skins as frequently as an Aliens movie. As to pricing, rumor currently has it that instead of just having the 699 of the iPhone 11, we're going to see a slight reduction for the mini going down to 649, but a slight escalation in the 6.1 inch model going up to 749. As for the iPhone 12 Pro, it sounds like Apple's going to hold the line at 999 and for the Max at 1099. Now, this is different than a lot of other vendors over the last year who've been bumping up prices, especially because the Qualcomm chipsets and the 5G modems have been more expensive and panels with things like 120 Hertz refresh rates have been more expensive. Apple will probably be eating those costs going into these iPhones. And that may be why we're seeing pricing play out this way because it'll make 2020 this terrible Michael Bay disaster movie of a year, just a little bit more tolerable for Apple customers and keep the average selling price hopefully within at least a few points of normal for Apple. So they're not eating it too much. And we'll also probably see some environmental e-waste messaging around eliminating the headphones and the AC adapter charging brick which will save Apple a couple bucks a box over hundreds of thousands of boxes and make it just slightly less bitter for them. But depending on how that messaging is handled, maybe way more bitter in reaction. As to when all this is gonna happen, there's nothing official from Apple yet, 
but rumors are suggesting the event on October 13th with pre-orders going live on October 16th. There have been all sorts of different reports about which models will go on sale first. Some have said the regular iPhone 12s followed by the Pros. Others have said the 6.1 inch models followed by the 5.4 and 6.7 inch models. We'll have to wait to see. It is certainly not unusual for Apple to split the rollout between the different devices. And this wretched hellscape of a 2020 is certainly not making things any more predictable for anyone. And that includes leakers and reporters, frankly. And if you're curious about the culture behind just all of that, their their motivations, what goes through their reporters' minds, their addictions and anxieties, why some stop and why others flop, and how real people get real fired, check out my new podcast with Georgia Dow. You can find it on Nebula, the streaming video platform I'm building alongside thoughtful creators like Jordan Harrod, TechAlter, Thomas Frank, Epos Vox, Polymatter, Braincraft, Jenny Ma, Legal Eagle, and so many more. It's a place where we don't need to worry about demonetization or the tyranny of click-through rates or watch time or the algorithm or, like I said, ads. Yeah, you can find all of my videos there completely ad-free and sometimes with extra bonus content. For example, you can get both the video and audio version of my new podcast with Georgia Dow on Nebula, and not only the Apple topic and the general tech topic, but with a special bonus topic as well. What does all this have to do with CuriosityStream? Well, as the go-to source for the best documentaries on the internet, they love educational content and educational creators. And we worked out this deal with them where if you sign up for CuriosityStream with the link in the description, you not only get CuriosityStream, but you also get a Nebula subscription for free absolutely free. And for a limited time, CuriosityStream is offering 26% off all of their annual plans. And 26% off is, by contract, the best deal you'll find anywhere. So click the link in the description and get both CuriosityStream and Nebula for 26% off. Or you can go to curiositystream.com slash Renee Ritchie. It's a great way to support this channel and educational content directly for just $14.79 per year. Just click on the link in the description or go to curiositystream.com slash Ritchie. And clicking on that link just really helps out this channel. For a ton more on the iPhone 12, hit the subscribe button and click on the playlist above. I've already got videos up on every single new feature coming our way and lots more to come. So click the playlist and I'll see you next video.